welcome to the Band Room Podcast. I am your host, Dylan Maddox. This is my probably 10th or 12th attempt at recording this intro. I live in northern Ontario, and there is continuously snowmobiles driving outside of the room that I'm recording in. But I'm so glad that I think they've gone. So um, I'm happy that you could join us uh, today for this really great episode. I know I say that a lot, but this was just one of my favorite conversations to have to date with someone I greatly admire. Um, And speaking of people I greatly admire, next week, you should really tune in because I'll be speaking with one of my past professors, who is Dr. Wesley Ferreira, who is now the clarinet professor at Colorado State University. Um, But before that, he was at Mount Allison University, where he taught me not the clarinet, but conducting, among other things. Um, So please come back and check out uh, that conversation. Even if you're not a clarinetist, Wesley is a wonderful human being, a phenomenal musician, and I know it'll be a lot of fun to listen to. But before we talk about anything else, please head over to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts like this one, and give the Bandroom Podcast a rating and a review, because it really helps get the word out to others, and it helps other people find the podcast. And uh, who wouldn't want that? Because you get to hear these great conversations. And I mean, like today's conversation is great. It was so much fun. Um, the other thing I want to tell you about or remind you about is the Mandarin podcast has a Patreon page. And that is a, a, a website that you can uh, choose to support the podcast and you get various incentives in return for supporting, be it a behind the scenes look at the podcast, or maybe it is um, a monthly hang with myself and a mystery guest who could be, I don't know, I don't even know who it could be. It could be a composer, it could be uh, a conductor, it could be a music educator, it might be, it might be a performer, uh, because I know lots of people who would just love to come on a monthly hang. So um, there's, those are some of the incentives. You could even get BRP merch, coffee mug, t-shirt, hat, we don't have any hats. I'm kidding. Uh, who knows? Um, so yeah, the way it works is it's set up monthly. Um, so you can set uh, $3 a month that you want to give to the Bandroom Podcast. And that just helps keep the lights on. That helps pay for the hosting fees that we uh, have to pay th- through the wonderful platform, uh, Buzzsprout, which, which is a great podcast platform, but it costs money. Um, so all these things uh, really help in the running of the podcast. So if that's something that you think you might want to do, you can check out patreon.com slash bandroompod to learn more about how you can help and seeing the various uh, tiers and incentives. And it's also now in Canadian dollars. So that means if if you're American, it's it's even cheaper now. Oh my gosh. Um, But please go check out our Patreon page and, and learn how you can help. Recently, I've been thinking about some of the elements, some of the characteristics that that go into the people that I admire and look up to most. And I've kind of broken it down into a couple of things, but one of them is um, someone who's just truly themselves and people who say it as it is for the betterment of other people and humanity and all of that. Uh, And also uh, someone who does music 
not for music's sake, but does music because it's a tool uh, to improve the lives of people around them, but also uh, use it as a tool to better humanity. And I know that seems very big, but um, today's guest is one of those people that I greatly admire and look up to for all of those reasons. I had a really wonderful, uh, funny uh, and powerful conversation with Dr. Cynthia Johnson Turner, who is director of bands at the University of Georgia. We spoke about the the regular things that I ask every guest. What inspired you to enter the music field? What was your path from here to there and all of that? Um, but we had a really great conversation about the classical concert experience and how maybe it should change for the future and for the better uh, and some things that you can do in your own programs uh, to, to play around with and to, to mess around with. Uh, we also talked about diversifying your programming and the importance of that uh, along with many other uh, topics i've also learned um, <laughs> from our conversation that i i need to in, improve my questions because i ask a lot of the same questions um, and i ask for a lot of highlights so i'm going to improve i'm going to improve for you guys and for myself um, but uh, it was a really great conversation and i'm not just going to stop talking without further ado here is my conversation with Dr. Cynthia Johnston Turner. Here I am for another exciting bandroom podcast, and I, I don't think. I've I've ever I've never been this excited before in my life. Oh, this is sad. Oh, that is very sad, Dylan. Oh, dear. Um, I mean, I'm honored to be here. I truly am, but that is sad. No, because I am I am joined by no, although although she thinks it's very sad, but I'm joined by director of bands at the University of Georgia, Dr. Cynthia Johnston Turner. So thank you so much, Dr. Turner, for for joining us here in the band room. I'm, <laughs> I'm very honored. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I must say, uh, out of anyone I've, I've talked to for the band room, I'm most appreciative of your, your bio. It's, it's, it's such a narrative, and it makes my job a little bit easier when I'm doing my James Lipton-level research. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I was wondering, uh, just like uh, any other one of these uh, lovely interviews, would you mind telling us, uh, how you got started and, and maybe why you got started. Yeah, you know, it's funny that you mentioned my bio because two two things converged at once, which led me to change my bio. One was I read the book Storyworthy mm -hmm. by Matthew Dix, which I down. highly, highly recommend for any teacher, uh, musician, but particularly a conductor. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, my friend Fred Child from Performance Today came and talked to all the music students at the University of Georgia and he led us to some bios that he said drew the drew the reader in because normally we read our bios you know you went to school and they're really boring um, and then he led us to a couple of bios which were just just told a story just told mm -hmm just told a really personal and nice story. And that's what, so I had all my grad students 
um, read story worthy and we we all changed our bios we had matthew dix come and talk to us and he's fabulous mm-hmm. um and uh yeah i'm glad you like my bio because yeah, it's great. It, it, it it yeah just tell a story and, and stop listing all your degrees and who cares really <laughs> but anyway what was the question uh, the, the, uh, <laughs> the question the, was how yeah where how, did you get started and why oh, did you get started well in music you, that is yeah, even though I'm I'm now uh, in the South at the University of Georgia, I am Canadian, which is, I assume, partly why you, you asked me to, <laughs> to be here on this Canadian band podcast, which is great. Um, so I st- I'm from Peterborough, Ontario, and, and I started playing the ukulele and the recorder like a lot of us did uh, way back before I can really remember. I have just now picked up the ukulele again. So that's cool. Yes. Anyway, uh the time I sort of went, oh, music, this is so great, was when, A, I had a crush on my middle school band director, <laughs> Greg Brond, if you're still out there and you know you are, if you're listening to this, <laughs> yes, yes, I had a crush on you. And I and um, I played the clarinet and I just had so much fun learning to play the clarinet and mm-hmm. he thought I was pretty good. Um, I mean, when I think back about it, I mean, I wasn't. But anyway, I, I went to high school and Greg Braun put me into grade 10 high music because okay. he thought, thought I was advanced <laughs> oh, or above average or whatever. And that was a jazz band class. So Peter Ford, who was uh, the music teacher at Crestwood Secondary School in Peterborough, who later came to be my stepfather. This is a whole other therapy session that we can have later, <laughs> wow. but yeah. yeah. He said, this is a jazz band class, so you either go up to grade 11 or you play the saxophone. So uh, as a terrified grade nine student, I picked up the saxophone and fell in love with that. And I I continued to play both. And yeah, at some point during high school, when I realized because I wasn't doing so well in biology that I wasn't going to be a large animal veterinarian, (laughs) I decided that, okay, well, I'm pretty good at music. These Mm -hmm. are my peeps. I, I love the sense of community here. I love the beauty that we're making. I love teaching, right? I love teaching. We had a side by side, and I, this, right. the light went on for this one kid, and I went, "Oh, that was such a." It was such a selfish, you know. Like, I felt great that the light went on for this kid, but it was real selfish, right? It was like, "Yes, <laughs> I made that happen," you know. But anyway, that led me to to like, I want to do this music thing, and I want to I want to teach it. Yeah, oh, great. I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can find Greg. <laughs> and send yeah. this to him. Still around. He drove a a, a, a gremlin. <laughs> Is that a Ford product or GMC? I don't know. But I I, I my I, researchers on that. Yeah, you, you, you <laughs> he's a great guy. Great guy. Wonderful. And and you went to a campus that I just love and a university I love, a, a Queen's University in Kingston. Um, so I was wondering if you could maybe maybe talk about your time there a little bit. Yeah, Queens is a beautiful campus. I I loved Kingston. I didn't audition anywhere else, partly because Peter Ford said, "Why don't you go to Queens?" And I and I just knew nothing about that. Uh, I I'd had maybe three private lessons. Um, and that was with Leslie Ogilvie in Peterborough. Gosh, she has the most gorgeous saxophone sound. Mm. Um, but I just didn't feel good enough or talented enough to to apply to some somewhere like McGill or Toronto mm. and. I mean, it just, it speaks to both the importance of mentorship and that music educators need to pay attention to 
to what they're saying to impressionable <laughs> students about where they go to college and what you know what that means and what are the possibilities but it also speaks to imposter syndrome which i had and still do have occasionally uh you know i'm not good enough i don't i'm you know toronto scares me whatever um <laughs> yeah so yeah i went to queens and i had a, a very interesting time there i studied with abe kestenberg who still teaches at mcgill oh, yeah. um at the time he was teaching you know he got on a train and came to queens twice twice a week i can't remember uh wonderful wonderful teacher, wonderful person. Um, and what was great about Queens um, in a lot of ways was Abe Kestenberg, for sure. Uh, the friendships that I made there. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the idea that you could do uh, after your BMUS. So I did a sort of a double per- performance in education. Mm-hmm. And then you do a one year B- Bachelor of Education. And um, the person who would normally have taught that was on sabbatical and so we actually had a real live music educator (laughs) come in and teach us that year and she was incredibly good and it um the person that was in career services at the queen's education school uh was exceptionally good and and he got me uh turned on to teaching outside of the province and that's when i went to switzerland yeah Oh, and I wrote down the wrong country. (laughs) That's okay. I saw that. (laughs) Well, at least it starts with S. Awesome. That's right. And there's a W. Yeah, so there you go. So so that's that's what led you to Switzerland, not Sweden. Well, yeah, it was back in the day before the internet. What? Friends, there was a time before the internet. I I didn't want to, quote unquote, settle down in Ontario. I wanted to to travel. I wanted to see as much as the world is, is... possible um i think i just wanted to i might have been running to i might have been running away i don't know uh who knows um but i sent out hundreds of of letters you know you like typed a letter on (laughs) you think back of it like (laughs) what did you do before the internet well this is what you did you went to a typewriter because you went you learned how to type in high school Mm -hmm. uh and I, i just typed a a bunch of letters and photocop there were photocopiers and photocopied them <laughs> and and just i just sent hundreds out into the world of, mm-hmm. and i got my esl qualifications english as a second language anyway as they came back i got three offers one was in papua new guinea to teach english one was in japan to teach english and one was in switzerland to teach english and music mm-hmm. and i chose switzerland a because i was also teaching music but also they said they'd pick me up at the airport in a limo and a gal, a, you know, a young woman coming from pretty poor family mm-hmm. in Peterborough, Ontario. Uh, I thought that was pretty cool. So off to Switzerland, <laughs> I went. Had the Wonderful. best time. Yeah. yeah. And that was a that was a year there. Yeah, I think it would have been longer if my visa hadn't run out. Okay. Um, so, so is that know. what led you back to Ontario? Was the visa running exactly. out? Exactly. Yeah, I had fallen in love over there. Yeah. I, I I I had a good job. Um, yeah, um, but my visa ran out, and I and I, you know, my mom was saying come home, and there was a there was a there was a push pull, I guess, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, then it got me back to Ontario. I taught uh, beginning band and language arts uh, at Lord Durham Public School, just outside of Ajax. Oh, wonderful! Ontario, yeah, loved it. And we're I'll, we'll talk more about that experience because you know I I think. 
um, your time as a public school teacher keeps coming back <laughs> uh, more in, in your path. But uh, what, what was it um, that in, not inspired you, but what led you to wanting to do a, a master's degree um, and kind of <laughs> leave public school this teaching? Is, this is such, I get this, I get this question a lot and I ha I'm going to be completely honest with you. And, and boy, I don't like when people say that. Yeah, because um, th th that suggests that I haven't been completely honest before. <laughs> so what I'm going to tell you is the truth. <laughs> Everything I tell you is the truth. Um, I didn't want to do a master's. Okay. So for two years, I taught at Lord Durham Public School. Then I got my quote-unquote dream job as, as uh, head of music at Parkside High School in Dundas, Ontario. And I loved that job. Why would Why would I leave that job mm -hmm. any job i've had i've said that well i've landed this is it i don't say it anymore and here's why so um i i met my now husband mm -hmm. who was the brother of my friend who was uh at, in the guidance department at parkside she said you got to meet my brother uh so i did and uh, the rest as they say is history but he got a job uh in victoria as the vice president of a small kind of startup, uh, uh, Royal Roads University was startup at that time. And he said, come out and do your master's at, with, with Jerry King at the University of Victoria. I said, hell no, I, I, I love my job. I just met you, you know, we'd only been dating four months or something. Right. And um, I said, no. And then I, you know, you know what, like three or four weeks later, I was missing him, so I started, I, it was all about him. And then I started to do a little research into Jerry King and the University of Victoria. And you could do you could do a master's over three summers. A great program, University mm -hmm. of Victoria. Um, so I said, oh, what the heck? I took a I took a year's leave of absence from my job, which they held for me, which is awesome. And off I went. Mm -hmm. But the the reason I did it was <laughs> was not some sort of I need to get better as a band director. That came, thank mm -hmm. God. Uh, but it was really to follow this guy. Right. And um, within minutes in that program, I went, why did I not think of this? Mm -hmm. uh, maybe it's imposter syndrome again. Uh, you know, I'm not good enough to do a master's. But uh, yeah, that was some of the best. That was amazing. I mean, and, and as we all know, that I got in through that program or during that program and went, I know nothing. I know nothing about what I've been doing for the last nine or 10 years teaching mm -hmm. these kids. Uh, and that happened also when I did my doctorate. I know nothing. And I right. continue to say, I know nothing. And <laughs> it's, it's just the more we know, right? The, the more we read, the more we learn, the more we realize I am never going to learn all of this stuff. And mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's the pain and the beauty of, of life and, yeah. and being a dedicated lifelong learner. Wow, what yeah. interesting, you know. It's I just, the truth. Yes, yeah, no, I appreciate it. I just, um, I was talking with uh, Darren Allerking yesterday and uh, about his path, and it's so interesting. We were talking about how often students kind of <laughs> picture picture us like born in our position, but yeah. the, the route is just so zigzag, and, and what you think inspires someone to go do something is totally <laughs> maybe not what it actually was. Yeah, and that's okay. Yeah. I think that, you know, the 
the bottom line there is that there are multiple paths to, mm-hmm. you know, it's like there's probably multiple universes. Well, there are multiple universes, right? So right. <laughs> uh, let's not go down there. But I would, I mean, I'd love to talk about physics and quantum physics, but uh, that's actually, I was just talking about this, about Omar Thomas, who's a good friend. and He reads physics in his spare time because that's his crazy brain. And he talks about how the more you zoom in to what you think is a solid object, mm-hmm. the more empty space that you discover. Wow. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a mind bleep. Uh, but but that's what learning is too. Mm-hmm. Right? The more the more you learn about one thing, the more the more empty spaces there are. At least for me. <laughs> Maybe that's just me. <laughs> and my brain. <laughs> That's great. And, um, and while you were at the, the University of Victoria, uh, you did your master's thesis on something I find very interesting. M- music and journey, personal and ensemble growth, like on, a, on the band tour. And uh, So I just I, want to say, I'm going to interrupt right oh, here for your listeners and yeah. say that while, the, while you were saying music and journey, your hands were out like you were flying like an airplane. And I think that that's beautiful. Thank you. I know that's <laughs> one of the flaws of the podcast medium. They don't see, see this. You can't see him flying. Like. Yeah. It's like yesterday I was holding up Darren's CD and, and realizing <laughs> this is useless. <laughs> anyway, uh, but one of, one of the things that I found very interesting was I, I, um, I know one of your former students from when you were teaching, uh, I guess, high school, uh, Amy Abbott. So, <gasps> uh-oh. <laughs> oh, I love Amy. Yeah, she's, but I, she's so special. I was asking her if she could tell me... Uh, if any memories or, or wonderful things about you or if she had any questions herself. Um, and the first thing that she talked about was the tours and how important they were to her and to her, her fellow students. Um, so I was wondering if you could maybe, <laughs> I hate having some, someone who's an expert in something, but like, could you speak very briefly about what you spent years of your life writing? Uh, yeah, and, and messing up and not getting right. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the Coles notes. Do they still have Coles notes? Is that thing still? Yeah. I don't know. Also, okay. maybe yeah, still. probably not. Yeah. Uh, well, the other person that uh, that was an, an immense influence on me at the University of Victoria, uh, other than Jerry King and and Bobby, my colleague, uh, fellow student, was Betty Hanley, and she she's retired now, but she, oh, she was just an incredibly brilliant researcher and thinker about Mm -hmm. music education and she kicked my butt so badly on on what i thought research was and how one researches and you know i'd I'd show her drafts of things and she would just you know be just red ink all over it i loved her um fabulous educator anyway she helped me formulate the the topic of what I wanted to research mm-hmm. because she got me talking about what I thought was important and, and uh, what I did in my career that I thought was important. And so that's how the, the, the research came about. <laughs> and I had all of these, Amy's included, I had all of these reflections, these, uh, I just saved them like teachers do. We just save stuff. When we're having a bad day, we take out something that a student said to you or wrote to you, and it makes you feel better, you know. Save it all. Save it all, (laughs) my friends. Um, 
and I had I had all of these tumor reflections and you know I, I was telling Betty about it and she said that's your project you, you've got to write about this you know write what you know write what you care about anyway yeah I I had done a bunch of band tours when I was a high school student with my band director stepfather <laughs> uh, uh, boyfriend slash stepbrother Whoa, let's not go there but anyway um, and uh, that's actually the first time I walked into an American school into a music room and saw trophies Ooh, and went, yes. what the heck's what going about. on here yeah I mean that's a side topic to talk yeah. about what I what I see is a, a serious problem in the United States is is the conflation of competition and music but anyway um, I had some some of the best times and the most transformative personally transformative times on those band tours and so I wanted to do the same thing when I was a a high school educator mm-hmm. plus the whole travel thing right going to sweden sweden <laughs> going to switzerland and <laughs> i have gone to sweden uh as a result of my job so there you go uh you know, I meant music to do that, yeah. and travel yeah um and i just kept getting it wrong i mean i my first band tour was with the with the middle school kids uh, that was a pretty good one but anyway over the course of my career a variety of things happened like uh that i learned each time, like on one band tour, uh, our bus driver was arrested. Uh, on one band tour, um, <laughs> this is when I was a high school teacher, um, we went through quote unquote, the storm of the century. Uh, and a lot of things were canceled. On one band tour, I had a serious problem with cliques in the ensemble. Mm-hmm. So that led me to how to build better community before you go and led me to get into Tim Leitzenhauser and, and student leadership and creating a culture of community versus um, versus non-community, basically, mm-hmm. uh, and focusing on the big picture and the extraneous things about why we do music, mm-hmm. building community, creating beauty, um, helping students grow, all, all of that stuff. Um, and in 1996 uh, was a banner year, and it was just a it was a band tour that. I mean, it. we got off that bus back in the parking lot at Parkside High School and we just didn't want to leave each other. Mm-hmm. Hugs and tears and, you know, that was the best experience of my life. And, and right. uh, yeah, I, I wrote about all of that. And, and I do believe in journey and, and touring, not tripping, not, not going on a trip to, to Disney World, playing a concert, getting mm-hmm. adjudicated and then doing a bunch of rides. I mean... I mean a band tour, right? Yeah. Where you're you're immersed in the culture of another place and yeah. and committed to learning. I believe that that can transform people uh, and communities, but it can also transform the music. Mm-hmm. I believe that because I saw it time and time again that when we bonded as people and created a community, it took the music to an entirely new level. Right. It was beautiful. Yeah, and and I've heard you speak about. Um... The other aspect of, of your uh, band trips also being kind of an exchange with other schools and, and, and that aspect of community as well, which is, I think, really wonderful. <laughs> yeah, because I think a lot of us and my, my own experience as well is, you know, going to Disney World, going on the rides, throwing up. And, you know, that hasn't really improved much of my community. But <laughs> I, I don't think it sh- I don't think a band tour should be a reward. Mm hmm. I think it should be a learning 
event. Mm -hmm. And I think it should make people and the world and the music better. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And speaking of learning events, how'd you like that segue? Um, really nice. <laughs> really nice. Uh, I know. That's why they pay me <laughs> nothing. Um, <laughs> uh, you you were off to Eastman, um, and I, I almost said to study with Donald Huntsberger, but that's not how it was right at the beginning. So I was wondering oh. if you could talk about what led you to Eastman and, and your experience there and what brought you to the, as you said, the dark side. Yeah. Did I say that? Um, the, yeah, well, the masters was a, was a wake up call mm -hmm. as I've already spoken about how, about how much I, I, I didn't know. And I just was, I remembered how much I love school and love learning. The year that I did my masters, the province of Ontario went on strike. Okay. Every teacher went on strike. It's hard to imagine. And they, and when I came back, it was work to rule. Uh, so that meant no rehearsals, right? Mm -hmm. Even though I, I chose students in the program and did have rehearsals. Um, so I, I went against the union, which, well, that's a whole other story. But anyway, yeah. I, I, the, the combination of loving the masters and thinking that I might possibly be good enough, maybe smart enough to do a doctorate um, and coming back to a rather toxic environment um, I thought, well, let's look at, let's look at, uh, doctoral programs. Long mm -hmm. story short, um, I got into Eastman. Um, I had, I had talked with Bob Reynolds at, at Michigan, right. who's since become a dear friend. That was the year he had a heart attack. Uh, and he, I, I just, it was basically a cold call. I walked in there and, uh, his secretary, uh, admin assistant, I should say, got him on the phone and, and he, we had this wonderful conversation anyway Eastman um, and that was a that was a yes and and Kent State and Michigan State these were all schools I wanted to go to and I applied to and, and got in for a PhD in music education right not a DMA and I got into Eastman and I that was kind of Eastman are you kidding me Eastman School of Music me <laughs> uh, and it was closest to Hamilton, which is where we were living. So okay. that was good. Um, and so I started as a PhD in music ed. Um, but yeah, I was following Don Hunsberger around like a puppy. Mm -hmm. You know, I went to every wind orchestra and wind ensemble rehearsal concert. I, I, I just, you know, I was just a sponge. Mm -hmm. Till he finally said, do you want to conduct something? Like, just maybe <laughs> to get, get me off his back. Yeah. Uh, okay, can I get you a coffee? Um, and, um, <laughs> I did, it was, it was Corel Hoos's Alfresco with the, with window, which is wind orchestra, quote unquote, second band. And, um, I have no idea how it went because I was nervous as all get out. Uh, and the first thing that goes are your ears when you're nervous. We all know that. And, uh, it must've gone well because Corel Hoos was in the audience and he no was pressure. very complimentary. No, yeah, right. He was very <laughs> complimentary after, um, and Don Hunsberger said, you, sh you should think about being a, a conductor. Wow, you got the blessing. Exactly. Yeah. Domine Nobis Pact. <laughs> and um, yeah, after lots of uh, soul searching, et cetera, I, 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 I said, okay, I'm going to do a DMA in conducting, wind conducting. And mm. then Don retired. <laughs> Great. So <laughs> I had to audition for Mark Scatterday. Oh, okay. And, and I still got in, which is great. <laughs> that's good yeah. so i i kind of had a year with 
Don because the search failed at Eastman. Mm -hmm. So Don was still there and then and then Mark and yeah, it was uh, the best of both worlds. But after Eastman you didn't you didn't go too far. It was off to Cornell for how many years? Ten years? Ten years, yeah. Ten years. Could you talk about that that experience and maybe some highlights? I know <laughs> You know, just a couple of the ten of the decade, please. That would be great. <laughs> just, the, just the major hits. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Enough on a CD. Yeah. Um, great time as a job again. Why would I leave this job? Cornell University. I'm kidding. Uh, one of the best universities in in the United States. Uh, Ivy. Lots of money. Mm -hmm. Smart kids. Talented kids. Um, an amazing colleagues that are way smarter than I am. Uh, yeah, I loved that job and um, I was I was honored to, to get it. Um, I some of the highlights, uh, we made a CD called Algenblick that's still out there for sale, ladies and gentlemen and friends beyond the binary yeah, uh, on, on Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and it's um, what what's ex was extremely cool about Cornell was my colleagues, Roberto Sierra, Stephen Stuckey, Kevin Ernst who attracted some of the most talented young composers mm -hmm. or composers who wish to pursue their doctorate with those three uh, amazing composers. And so we had these hotshot composers around our halls. And I, I said to any of them, you know, um, would you write a piece for band? But, but, in, but beyond that, it was, I want you to write a piece for wins that pushes the boundaries, whatever that means for you. Mm -hmm. That's what I'd like you to do. And some of them had never heard of like, what's a band piece? Like Schwantner had like, I don't know how to write for band. So, you know, I, that was a beautiful opportunity for me to put, you know, Schwantner in front of them, right? Yeah. And Penderecki and, you know, but also here's, you know, here's Holst if you want, you know, like just yeah. all sorts of things. And as a result of that, we got some amazing new pieces for the Wynn Ensemble Medium that are still performed today. Not enough, I should mm -hmm. say. I, I, this is me slapping my own wrist. We, we go out and commission all these emerging composers to write for Wynn Ensemble to quote unquote, you know, better our repertoire. But then we don't replay the ones that we think are good. We just keep getting new ones. Yeah. Oops. Anyway, <laughs> um, we made the CD called Algenblick, which is one of the names of the pieces, and uh, by Christopher Stark, wonderful composers now in Missouri. Um, yeah, that was a highlight, and we went on tours every hey. year. Yeah, so um, I guess it started when we went to Costa Rica. My cousin was uh, had retired there. Well, she hadn't retired, but she was living there, and mm -hmm. she was doing some uh, service work. And she said, I found this music school. They've got like 14 kids and, and, you know, a, a clarinet and a guitar or something. Do you have any ideas? And anyway, it, long story short, we, uh, we got at that first year, 50 instruments donated. Um, I had partnered with the local music store, Hickey's music in Ithaca. Mm -hmm. um, and he said, I like this project. I'll fix the instruments if they're fixable for free. Awesome. Uh, and we took 50 instruments to Costa Rica, the Wind Ensemble, that first year and um, donated them to this the school that we had learned about. And we taught the students, and we were in that community for several days, got to know those kids. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I said, this is a, that's when I started to learn about service learning. What is service learning? What is service? Um, and so it added this other element to my, my research on journey and, and ensemble transformation, personal ensemble transformation, this yeah. idea of service learning. So we went on five tours to Costa Rica by the, the last one. I think oh, wow. we had over 150 instruments donated, like it got some momentum. Yeah. Uh, and then the quote unquote off years, we went to inner city, Washington and inner city, uh, Philadelphia. And that's where I learned that actually desegregation didn't happen. Hmm. Right. We yeah. went to the inner city schools were, were segregated. Um, yeah. Call it something else. Yeah. Let's face it. And so, and so my students learned this too. And hmm. so it came, it was, uh, it was amazing, amazing time. And, uh, I, I left because um, I didn't, I, I wasn't actively seeking a change. Ah, that's partly not true. I kind of was. I had done Steve Peterson's leave at Ithaca College a couple of times. Okay. And, and then I did Mark Scatterday's leave at Eastman. Mm. And, uh, and went, oh yeah, I, I remember this <laughs> level. I remember these kind of students who have, who are just music 24 seven, not, yeah literal rocket scientists who can play well <laughs> <laughs> i like that too but you know yeah um yeah so so georgia came a knocking and that was that that was that yeah, yeah there's this over you know there's 500 music majors and the the, the wind ensemble has doctorate and master's students in performance i mean it's an incredibly high performing group and school and uh the best kept secret in the united states in terms of music schools yeah. Uh, and also a, a 430 piece marching band. There you go. That's been <laughs> fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to keep asking you about highlights, uh, but I know there's just, <laughs> it's like, come on, Dylan, work harder. That's what, that's what, I'm, that's what, I'm, that's what I'm thinking. Um, <laughs> but um, I mean, you already kind of talked about, <laughs> what's that for? <laughs> it's a highlight. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, all right. I can't forget. This is a podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, got it now. I'm a little slow. I'm only halfway through my coffee. Um, but uh, I know there's just so many really great things at uh, at UGA that you're doing, and um, I was wondering if you could talk about some of them. You're you're basically my favorite YouTube channel. I must say that you've got so much great. Really? Yeah, I, again, I, another I sad no statement, Dylan. <laughs> Have you seen the two guys? Yeah. Well, uh, have you seen the two guys who are listening to music for the first time? There's two uh, black teenagers, they're brothers, and they sit and they listen to, okay, you got to Google this after the fact and and give it to your listeners because it is, it's the, the, the one that got me, like I was laughing and then I just started crying um, because they're listening to, I can feel it what's that in the air tonight by phil collins yeah, and they're listening to it for the first time okay. and it, and then you know whatever whatever it is five minutes in four minutes and phil collins comes in on the drums and the and these kids reactions right we all know this and these kids are like they go they go crazy you've got to watch it um and then that will be your new favorite youtube okay. channel because they bring such joy 
to 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 listening to music. I mean, their and their reactions are so visceral and fun and happy and and honest. And you just go, yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe a, a better <laughs> a better way to go might be to talk about the article that I read that you wrote. Um, and this this particular article, um, you were talking about kind of actionable ideas and and ways to change the concert experience and to evolve the concert experience um and this was one of many articles that i'm going to make sure to link on the website and in the episode description from uh, new music box but i was wondering if you could speak about about this idea because i think it'll kind of lead into the next question as well and talk about the things you're doing at uga okay well you know it's funny because you you so in case your listeners don't know, Dylan sends you a list of questions before this <laughs> podcast. So I, <laughs> I, I saw that that was one of the list of questions and I went, gosh, I wrote that article a while ago. I better, you know, I better, <laughs> better read it, <laughs> better read it again. So I have it in front of me just, just so everybody knows and to refresh my memory, because I do think it's extremely important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had done a series of articles on you know, the 21st century music learner and how our brains have changed because of technology and, and, but how we teach band and how we teach music really hasn't <laughs> changed in a lot of years. And, and if we've been teaching band music really well for over a hundred years, why isn't there more band music on the radio? Why don't we have a whole bunch of people who are just dying to hear band music all the time if we've mm-hmm. been doing it right? Um, so I've got a couple of articles on how we can have more student engagement, more more lovers of music, and not necess- not necessarily just band music, less telling and more asking. Some guy, this is an aside, but some guy on on Facebook wrote a really vulnerable post about what's wrong with me. I'm just a fixer. Like the band sounds good. I get up there. I know how, we're conductors. We learn how to fix, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, fix, 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 but there's no spark. There's no engagement with my students. And I put on there, say, please private message me. I got to talk to you about some, <laughs> I, I think I can help you and I get it. And how beautiful of you to put that in a public forum, right? Anyway, yes, uh, I wrote a piece called, it's not what we do, it's how we do it. And, and because I've been experimenting with different ways to present quote unquote classical music. And I've, I'm really fed up with with the rules mm-hmm. of 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 classical music and i did a google search of uh, what did i do classical music traditions i'm now like reading my article and i googled it in, in preparation for a talk i was doing but also for this article and some of the titles that came up were what to wear to a classical music concert concert etiquette the concert ritual how to enjoy a live concert of classical music from the guardian admit it you're as bored as i am (laughs) saving classical music the awfulness of classical music explained that was in the huffington post is classical music boring is classical music dying how diversity can help save classical music can classical music be cool and how do we fix classical music those are just some of the highlights my favorite was cracking the secret orchestral codes in the new york times (laughs) like come on are we not messing ourselves up here? Mm-hmm. Uh, there are none of these articles on how to enjoy a 
country music concert or a hip hop concert or a right. folk concert or any other genre of of music except for classical music. And mm. I, I think it's a problem. And I think we as educators and conductors in middle school, all all across the gamut, need to to look at that very, very carefully mm-hmm. and and sort of reassess what we do especially now mm-hmm. right yeah, i think it's absolutely. i think it's partly the silos of genre that we have placed ourselves into that classical music has somehow all these rules like don't clap between movements which is mm-hmm. absolutely ridiculous as far as i'm concerned um and then you know quote unquote pop music so right you asked about one of the things i'm doing at georgia that i that i think is interesting is that we we're doing a hip hop project. So I believe that one of the ways, one of the things that we, we need to do better, I need to do better is to be more connected to the community in which we live. So Athens is, has one of the most famous and hippest uh, indie rock music scenes in the United States. Mm-hmm. You know, REM, B-52s, whatever. All these amazing bands came out of Athens. And yet there's very little connection between the music school and, and Athens, Georgia. So uh, that and some of the racial injustices that are prevalent uh, that, that I've seen and my students see in Georgia has led me to this, this hip-hop project. Anyway, we're sitting around at the Globe upstairs having a beer with these hip-hop artists and the quote-unquote classical composers and me and me. And we're talking about artistic process and, mm-hmm. you know, there's, it couldn't be more different, right? How a hip hop artists approaches what they do, their art and, and uh, Peter Lane, who's a fabulous composer, approaches his art and or how I do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, halfway through this conversation, which was awesome, um, King Blanco, who's this young up and coming hip hop artist says, can I can I ask a question? And I said, yeah. He said, what's a pops concert? <laughs> yeah. Gosh. I, I tell that story a lot because, man, did that question hit me like a brick. Um, I don't know. Well, it's a concert where we play music that people want to listen to. No, wait. Uh, it's a concert <laughs> where we play music that we don't normally play because people like it. Oh, hang on. Like, yeah. yeah. So um, I, I think that I think that part of our issue with band concerts orchestra concerts is that we 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 both over and underestimate our audiences mm-hmm. i think we over underestimate our audiences in the sense that we can play them all of this new wind band music and expect them to understand and like it mm-hmm. and we underestimate them at the same time by by sometimes dumbing down things yeah so i i uh yeah i've been doing a series of experiments, some of them risky, uh, at the University of Georgia to kind of evolve or or um, make the concert experience less boring mm-hmm. or less rule bound. Right. So uh, and I think that we I think that we have to do that. We have to do that. So some of the things we've done is at all of our concerts, we have tweet seats. So there's an area of the hall where you're allowed to have your phone and you're allowed to play with your phone as long as the sound's off and um, and you can react to the concert as it's going by. And I've planted doctoral students in there and other faculty where we lead a Q&A. Like, mm-hmm. And, the, you know, there can be anything from 
you know, oh, I love that clarinet solely. It was badass to, uh, I don't understand what's going on right now, or there's too much bass drum or like all like really engaging, yeah. cool things. I mean, I, th I think that that's great. You know, yeah. what is wrong with that? Um, we have a thing at the University of Georgia called Light Up Sanford, and that's the beginning of the fourth quarter of the football game. All the lights go out, people bring out their phones, and it's absolutely sparkling, gorgeous, and pretty. There's, you know, 95,000 fans have their phones out, and it's just right. magical. So we were doing the premiere of Peter Lane's Beacons, which is four movements about light. So well, why don't we light up Hudson Hall? And so we worked it that, that all the lights went out and we told the audience that they're, you know, get out your phone. It was, it was mm. really pretty. And it yeah. really, it, it, it was, it was in touch with the music. Yeah. Uh, we often break down the wall of the stage in the audience and we have extra seats on the stage and we invite people to come and sit uh, with us as we play usually the last number. Mm -hmm. The last time we did this was at Janfest where we had a thousand a thousand high school kids and they rushed the stage they rushed the stage yeah yeah that was it was a great i'm a, it's hard to think about now but uh um, we play in different places you know we we actually transformed our band hall into a like a like a nightclub and we were playing um steve reich the double sextet and we set up in the middle and we turned out all the lights and we had these other you know ikea lights on and we had beverages at the back and there were no there were a couple of seats but basically you were encouraged to stand up and walk around and yeah have a drink that was great yeah and i and i think uh <laughs> the first thing that comes to mind because that's happened to me when if i've written something like this or you go give a talk you know there's multiple teachers that come up to you like that's great for you and your university but i think a lot of the stuff that you wrote um is very easily applicable to any level uh, in any kind of area and it's, as you said, stuff that has to be addressed. And I know before I was in my position at the college, um, I worked mainly as a freelance trumpet player in Toronto. And I, I remember the first time <laughs> I, I had this thought was I was playing um, video games live show at Massey Hall and sold out. Massey Hall was full. And much like you were talking with the lights, people were screaming at us. And it was just us, just us instrumentalists. And I remember turning to Dave Pell and just being like, what? what is going on right now? <laughs> like just to have that kind of love for that music was insane. And, and to think about, as you said, like how, how come people aren't doing that for our music, um, or our wind music is, is a interesting thing, but certainly um, the stuff that you're talking about and, and actively doing is, is helping. And, and I hope that many other people can address it in their own programs and, and all that stuff. Yeah, cool. cool. I mean, it, at high schools and middle schools, you know, having having some extra chairs in amongst the the musicians and inviting the parents or the siblings or friends or the principal, whatever, to come mm -hmm. and sit with the kids during, you know, the last number. <laughs> it's amazing. That's a little thing that you can do. I mean, the yeah. students will go, I don't want my mom sitting beside me. Well, actually, <laughs> actually, you do. I think it's pretty cool. So, I mean, that's, it's, it's a, it's a simple little thing, but it's, boy, it's done a lot. Yeah. And, Georgia. and you, you talked about the kind of the classical music rules and, and a lot of that has entered in, into our, it's certainly in our schooling as conductors when it comes to talking about programming. 
Um, and we often talked about, oh, you know, you have to program this piece because, um, and because of it now, it seems that our often um, we're talking about diversity in in our programming. Um, and one thing I want to mention before before we do end our conversation is, uh, I already I know I said I love your YouTube channel, but uh, this is sincere. You are one of my favorite people to follow on Twitter oh. <laughs> because you just like say it as it is. And as we've learned, especially this week, Twitter has much power. And I'm so <laughs> glad that that you use yours for good. And it and it seems really silly, but like the stuff that you put on there really does inspire me. And I know many others to like do better and to work harder and to really like look at yourself. And I know it maybe to you sometimes it might seem like a, a silly thing, but it really does uh, truly inspire me. Some of the stuff that you say of, you know, but social injustice and what we can do as educators and conductors. Yeah. That makes me, that makes me happy. Yeah. And it, no, it's really, it, I, I know we like, we just officially met, but I've, I've looked up to you from afar for so long and, and to be able to tell you something like that is really important um, to me. And I, and I know it's so true for other people and especially what you say, uh, about programming. And um, I know I just listened to uh, a recent conversation you had with a, one of your UGA students about the music of Omar Thomas. So I was wondering if, if we could talk about, um, I guess, looking at ourselves and our own biases when it comes to programming and, and maybe some of the things, if you're, if you're open to it, some of the processes that you went through when, when thinking about how to address this problem uh, when it comes to diversifying our programming as conductors and educators. Yeah. I th uh, first of all, thank you for those kind words. It's, 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 yeah. Thank you. You're very welcome. Yeah. It makes me, it makes me, I'm going to second guess everything I put on Twitter. Now I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I tweet that thing. Um, yeah. I, racism is alive and well. Mm-hmm. Uh, implicit bias is something we all have. We're human. It doesn't make us bad. It just makes us human. Mm -hmm. uh, I recommend everybody take some of the implicit bias tests that Harvard put out. If you just Google Harvard and implicit bias, you can do a series of tests that will reveal some of your biases and the test isn't perfect the tests aren't perfect you'll you'll realize i think i've just been manipulated but but still you you can um learn a lot about who you are and what society has taught you your mm -hmm. you know your how you've been raised uh what your situation is at work and how that affects who you are as a person um so coming to terms with that in myself um, seeing the kind of societal and systemic issues that are very obvious in Georgia mm -hmm. um, and lest Canadians think they are above this uh, <laughs> there's <a> new mm -hmm. <laughs> no not even close um, but it, it really is in your face here and having spoken to a lot of students about this um, and 
doing some soul searching and, and speaking to colleagues about it, reading some of, I've read a lot of books. I, I look at a lot of statistics. I'm on a lot of boards and committees and all that sort of stuff. And I can't not, not do this. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just one more thing that we have to think about when we're putting together a concert program. Putting together a concert program is tough. It's hard work if you're doing it right. It's one of the it's one of the things that we spend the most time on. And I, I had somebody say at a webinar or something, they said, well, now I have to make sure there's a BIPOC composer on there, underrepresented composer on there. And I said, hell yeah, you do. Yeah. That's your job. Um, you know, I said this to Melvin in the interview to which you were referring when I taught high school and even and at Cornell that I I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. That was my privilege. I didn't even think about it. Um, but, but we have to. We we have to. We have to do it. And and you have to. You're going to make mistakes. I make mistakes. You you. You've, but you've got to take risks. You've got to do the work of of who these composers are, why they are underrepresented. Mm-hmm. Um, and. You know, I don't know how many people have contacted me about what pieces should I program. And there's a big part of me that's like, do your own freaking research. <laughs> like, there's so many websites out there now yeah. that you can you can do this, and they're getting better and better and better. Right. Uh, but no, I just bite my teeth and say, well, here's some of the composers that, that I think are exceptionally good, and there are more out there that I don't know about, and I'm constantly learning about. Mm-hmm. So I think. When you say we talk about your process, it's it's just like I'm just trying to pay attention. Yeah, yeah. And one one interesting, well, one of many interesting points that you brought up during that conversation was uh, he was he was talking about uh, why why did why did you want to program Mother of a Revolution so many times, <laughs> and then you just mentioned, well, how many times have you heard Beethoven five, and that hit me yeah. like a brick. I'm like. Because I, I actually get angry now that I see it on Facebook. I'm like, oh, look, another recording of Beethoven 5. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah, um, but yeah. yeah your, your listeners might be interested in reading some Philip Ewell, e, E-W-E-L-L. He's a music theorist. So music theory is the, the, the article that uh, made him very famous this summer was uh, Music Theory's White Racial Frame. Mm-hmm. Uh Boy, that's that's another eye and ear opener, and and the other article I'm, I'm going to get the title wrong, but it was basically let's face it, Beethoven was an above average composer, but let's leave it there. Yeah, you know, so this concept of genius um, is part of, is part of the problem. These mm-hmm. these composers that we put on a pedestal uh, is is an, I'm not trying to cancel Beethoven, y'all. I'm not, but <laughs> but uh, there's room there's room for there's room for a lot more. And 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 yeah, I wanted to program Omar's music on every concert because it's excellent. Yeah. And his message, I mean, if you just want to look at it musically, it's badass music. Mm-hmm. It's and it's music of our time. And if you want to look at the messages that he sends, and the and the what he represents and what his music represents and who it represents. Mm-hmm. In, in our society today, it's brilliant. Yeah. 
and and isn't our job to to be in the times in which we live yeah and you talk about you know we, we already talked about breaking the rules but you know if you listen to come sunday you have no choice but to break the rules that music forces you to um uh, so yes. yeah <laughs> which is yes you know really fantastic well wait till you hear low down brown get down that's that's the one that we didn't get to right. to do because of uh our uh, covid but uh yeah that's like that's gonna blow you away yeah uh but we we are coming to a close and and um I'll bring it back to that student that I talked to, Amy Abbott, and and if and I asked her if she did have any questions, and this was one of the questions, uh, and she said, "I'd be curious how she feels about leaving an incredible legacy. So many people think of her as a special person in their lives. So I was wondering if you could speak about that. <laughs> this is something I've been curious about people, such as yourself, or." I know like Dr. Tim for me is someone who had a giant impact on me when I was in grade 11. Mm-hmm. And I, and I always wonder, do y'all go, do you think about that? Dr. Tim's a special, special soul. Um, I th- <laughs> no, I, I don't. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I think that when you start talking about, if you start thinking about legacy, mm-hmm. then you lose the very impetus and reason for being that got you there in the first place. So, I, uh, you know what I'm talking yeah. about. You uh, also makes me feel old. So, <laughs> like, damn. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Amy, if you're listening, I'm touched by your question uh somebody's going to ask you that question one day my friend <laughs> beautiful um I'll, I'll end with the question i ask unoriginally to every guest on the bandroom podcast <laughs> but um <laughs> if you could give one piece of wisdom to up-and-coming music educators and conductors what would it be so I read that question because as I've divulged to your listeners, we get that questions ahead of time. You think this? You think that my answer would have been better? I did. I did actually have the question, uh, and I, I can't come up with one. If I come up with one thing, mm-hmm. it sounds trite. Okay. So my the first thing that the first thing that came to mind was was two words: pay attention. And, and that just, it just sounds, it just sounds kind of mean and, and trite. But what I mean by that is pay attention to your students, pay attention to society, pay attention to the music that you want to listen to versus the music that you're teaching. And what does that mean? Um, pay attention to trends, pay attention to who's getting the Grammys, mm-hmm. uh, pay attention to the other arts where the where you know i read something the other day dylan where students under the age of 16 or something like that like most of the students we teach hello have no concept of genres mm-hmm. when it comes to popular music like they don't think hip-hop rhythm and blues pop rock or whatever they just it's they have no they have no concept of genres well this is how we were brought up 
right? There's this genre and this genre and this genre and there's the, well, let's do a fusion piece. <laughs> Whoa. Anyway, it, so what I mean by pay attention is like, I read that and went, holy smoke, do you think that it's important for me as an educator to know that? Mm-hmm. That when they come to the University of Georgia four years from now, they grew up in a world where they don't think about genres. Does this mean we should change our curriculum? Yes. Um, so that's what I mean by pay attention. Then the other thing was to be kind mm-hmm. and and to to be empathetic and ask questions and don't be afraid to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Like don't you don't nobody knows it all and and yeah. ask ask people who've been in the game longer or ask ask your colleagues questions if you if you don't know and that's okay and be it's okay to be vulnerable with your students and and be vigilant against intolerance yes yeah yeah and i and i I don't want (laughs) to this is one of the things that i i saw you write on Twitter earlier this year when the pan I know it sounds really creepy uh, <laughs> when the pandemic started it was like uh, you know we have to be thinking about our students first and not if you know they're handing assignment on late this during the pandemic or you know we're not reaching the regular high standards that we do in wind ensemble or whatever it is that we have to be empathetic and we have to put them first and so that that was a big a, a big piece of advice that that hit me very hard this year um but yeah yeah you know i I, i'm not going back to grading Mm -hmm. i didn't grade this past semester when we were virtual and i'm not going back to it i i another when i was when i did my master's betty hanley had me read anything by and i read a book called punished by rewards Follow, if you want to follow somebody cool on Twitter, follow Alfie, <laughs> A-L-F-I-E, Cone, K-O-H-N, and get your head around what he talks about in terms of what we've gotten wrong with education. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, when things go back to normal, I'm not doing anything the same. Everything's changing for me. How we do concerts, uh, what's happening with the wind ensemble, how I teach um, I'm excited. I'm terrified and I'm excited. <laughs> it's a good place. Well, a hard place, but a good place. Yeah. Um, I just want to, uh, to thank you so much for taking the time to, to speak with me and, and for, to be able to share this. This is one of my favorite conversations I've had. Um, but you know, at, earlier in, well, very early in the conversation, almost at the beginning, you spoke about how you didn't, uh, you didn't think it, if you were good enough for U of T or McGill and same thing with Victoria, the same thing with Eastman. And even you, you talk about how you sometimes think about it now, but I, I, I would think that those institutions need this to tell themselves or think to themselves, are they good enough for you? Because you are a phenomenal, phenomenal human being. And I am just so grateful um, for, for <laughs> I'm so grateful for, for, for your, your shining light in, in the world of negativity, it, it really, as, as a young, younger music educator, you are a great inspiration to me. And especially, you know, a Canadian from a small place is, is <laughs> doesn't hurt either. So thank you so much for everything you shared with us today and, uh, and f- for continuing to be a great inspiration to many of us. That's uh, I'll treasure that. Thank you for that. And uh, well, that's humbling. Uh, yeah, I, I'm speechless. Well, 
I'll think of some. This is the ending, folks. <laughs> so much for spending time with us in the band room if you want to learn more about anything we discussed in today's episode you should visit our website bandroompod.com if you like what you heard make sure to subscribe to the band room and give us that rating and review and maybe tell a friend how much you enjoyed it if you really love the show consider donating to our patreon page where you can donate to brp and get some extra incentives in return like bonus episodes monthly zoom hangs with me and a mystery guest and even some brp merch Speaking of another way to support the podcast, you could buy some BRP merch helping to offset podcast hosting costs and investments into new equipment so that we can continue to bring you great content and great people. Follow us on our social media at BandroomPod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube to keep up with what is on the go. And if you have any thoughts on today's episode, leave us a comment on our website. And who knows, that comment might be featured in a future episode of BRP. A big giant thanks to composer EKR Hamill for letting us use his piece Skyline as the BRP theme music, which was performed by the University of Toronto Wind Ensemble, conducted by Dr. Gillian McKay. Stay safe and be well, bandies. Thanks again for stopping by the band room.